Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the CPA Advisory Show. My name is Chris Herbershawn. I'm here with my co-host, Jeremy Wells. Jeremy, what is up and how are you doing? I am doing well, out of tax season, moving into business development and getting back to accounting and all that fun stuff. How about yourself? Yeah, keyword, out of tax season, Mm -hmm. recovering. I'm almost emotionally recovered, but, you know, we're here. Anyway, so today we've got another special guest. Thomas Copeland. So Thomas is the co-founder of All Street Wealth, a financial planning firm for millennial business owners and those with equity compensation. Thomas is also is a top 100 advisor by Investopedia and a top 23 millennial financial planner by Business Insider. Thomas, how are you? What's happening? Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I mean, I feel honored to be the first financial advisor coming to be on this podcast, but Hopefully I can add some value for everybody that's coming on and talk all things tax. So thanks. Awesome, man. Um, yeah. So tell us, you know, cause we're, we're mostly dealing with an audience of accountants and CPAs and accounting firm owners. Uh, what are you talking to clients about that we're not, or, you know, put another way, like what, where, where's the overlap and where's the distinction between, you know, where accounting and tax prep and tax advising and all that starts and stops and then where financial advising uh, starts? Yeah, I'm going to be honest that there's a really fine line here with between tax advice and tax planning, right? And, and I look across and I know that we're going to be talking a lot about how you guys play better roles with financial planners, with clients, et cetera. Like as I view the future of advice, I believe that it'll be tax advice, tax planning, financial planning, all in one. And so that's what I'm trying to build, to be honest. So for the last couple of years, and as we talked about who I specialize with, I really specialize with mostly business owners, which everything is tax, right? There's so much tax to talk about, but I my, my specialty is becoming deeper to now business owners that are going to be selling in the next, you know, typically five to 10 years. And so all of the planning is integrated with tax. And so as I try to build the firm of the future, I'm actually bringing tax in-house. So I have a friend, I have a buddy, he is an EA, he does tax filing and tax prep and tax planning at a mid-sized firm. And I want us to be able to give tax advice in-house, even though we won't file. Because what I've come to find is there's great CPAs like you guys, proactive. You're not probably just charging only $350 returns, but the vast majority of people, that is their CPA, right? Like they reach out, hey, please file my taxes. Hey, here's what taxes say. And then they say, how do I lower my taxes? And the CPA is like, do X, Y, and Z. And what I found is a vast majority of the time, that advice is actually more so to be Here's just how you save this year. When true financial planning, true tax planning is, how do I limit your taxes over your lifetime? But most CPA firms aren't built to do that. They're they're having trouble bringing people in, charging them thousands of dollars for advice, but I haven't found that to be a problem. Like I have almost everybody coming to my door saying, I want tax planning. We need tax planning. We have these massive six-figure tax, tax bills. We don't know what to be saving for taxes. We don't know how to lower our tax bill. And so I'm like, why don't we bring all of that in-house without just having the tax filing? And so that's the firm that I'm trying to build because these entrepreneurs that are going to be selling are making tons of mistakes. And, And part of what I'm trying to preach too is you don't reach out to a financial planner or a CPA for tax planning 
right as you get your LOI for your business being sold, right? Like that, that's what keeps happening to me, but I'm getting better at getting people to come in the door in the first few years of having a business. So we can start to think about when do you move to S corp? When should you be a C corp? Should you be either of those? Do you stay as a partnership? And then just all of the other tax planning um, ideas and things that come along, but I really do want to be able to give that tax advice. And I think that that will be the future of whether you have a CPA in house or whether you have a CPA firm that matches with a financial planning firm and you work together. And that's where I found that I do the best work for my clients is some of my clients, I, I probably have 25% of my clients with really, really good CPAs coming in the door where I reach out to them. And within two days, they'll have a talk with me I'll be able to talk about some of the tax planning ideas I want to talk about with them. They'll say here, yep, that makes sense. I'm a, I agree with you on it. But then the, the rest of my clients, I'm like, Hey, CPA. And they're like, um, I can meet with you in four months. And I'm like, how am I supposed to be doing good tax planning when we don't have this level of communication? And so then that's, that's where you come down the road of like, do I just bring that all internal? Because the value of the work, when the communication is like, Hey man, what do you think of this? And he's like, yep, that I like, that's the strategy we want to be doing. I think is very different. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I even know of several, uh, off the top of my head, mostly through, uh, Twitter, through social media, which we'll talk about that later on. Right. Um, but I, you know, I can think of several, uh, CPAs who are also CFPs, um, right. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, the, the AI CPA even has a, uh, credential that it offers called the PFS, the, you know, personal, uh, what is it? Personal financial, uh, specialist, specialist, right? Exactly. Um, you know, and, and so I think there's a lot to this idea of your, your accountant is also your tax preparer. Who's probably also your tax advisor. Therefore, who's also your personal finance advisor, right? It just seems like a natural flow from one to the other, but the, the the drawback to that is now all of a sudden you know you're adding more and more hats that you've got to wear within that relationship. So are you thinking that instead of just adding more and more credentials, right, and saying, well, I can do all these things in house, you actually add staff that maybe aren't directly what the firm name says it is, right? But then they can supplement. Uh, with that as well. It's almost like if an accounting firm went out and hired, you know, a, a CFP, right? And and said, well, we'll still do your accounting, but we can also help on the financial planning and so yeah. on like that. That's the way that I view it. I think part of the reason why I'm building my own firm um, is I want to build this my way and I want to do the job I love. And when I look at what am I really, really good at in better than most people. It's one at growing a firm. Like I don't think there's very many people who do marketing better and drive as many prospect, high, especially high net worth prospects to their company. I mean, most financial planners, the statistic is 80% of financial advisors fail in the first five years. It's not because they don't know the concepts it's because they can't get the clients. The other part that I'm really good at is talking to people, having them open up, like explaining things that are really simple. But what I know that there's other people at that are better than me and that they like more is the analysis, the research, the background work. So my thought is, let me stay in my lane, the lane that I'm really good at. And then let me bring in people where this is exactly what they want to do, where this energizes them, this energizes me. We create this really awesome team where we can work with more clients, with more wealth, provide better service, and everybody walks away feeling like they're doing the job they love. I think that's like an infectious company that you'll want to work with because one of the things that people tell me all the time is they're like, I can tell you love this. Like, I can tell that you love talking about this. I can tell you love helping others. And I feel like that's because I'm doing what I love. 
But then there are times and weeks where I'm like deep in estate planning and reading equity comp details or business financials and I'm drained. So my thought is, why, why don't I take that away from me and give it to somebody who's actually energized from that activity? And then we deliver those things together. So you brought up an interesting topic, which is marketing. And I'm mm -hmm. curious, like, what are you doing differently around marketing to bring in these high net worth prospects that other CFPs and probably the, like folks who are listening or running CPA firms, probably the same problem. I, I so would, what are you I would imagine we're all suffering from the same yeah. issue here. What I will say on the, CP, on the CPA side is CPA should be partnering with financial planners because I literally get 20 advisors a week asking me for referrals to CPAs because they can't find any good ones. So I think like CP, like financial planners, I don't think we should go to CPAs and say, hey, we can do really good financial planning, hand us your clients. I, I don't think that's the way for financial planners to work. I don't think that works well, but I do think a really good avenue for CPAs is, hey, I know this, I specialize in this, I see you're a financial planner that works with X, Y, and Z. I would love to help you if you don't have any referral partners, because I would say that's almost every single financial planner I talk to has none. They, they can't find anybody. But on my side, um, I think in, in the financial planning industry for so long, like everybody talks about social media does not work to get clients. They say that's never worked when it's like, well, social media is still so new. So I don't know why you say it's never worked. They say, we've always been able to get clients from seminars and cold calling. And it's like, those that's like the different world than we, we live in today. And then the other financial planners say, I've been creating content for so long and I get no clients, right? But then you look at their social content, it's Monday, they talk about their pricing structure. Wednesday, they put out a blog post uh, and they just say like, HSAs are triple tax advantage account. You should use them to lower your tax bill. It's like, that's so boring. Nobody's reading that. They're moving past it. And then Friday, they share a different article from somebody else and they say, or, or something they're quoted and say, check out this article I was quoted in a Business Insider. Again, nobody found that interesting. And so my thought was, what I need to do, one, is build credibility, right? Like, nobody's going to want to work with me unless I'm credible, especially when I'm working with those type of people. What's the best way to build credibility? It's actually not industry designations that nobody understands what they mean or they ask about. It's actually sharing content with people. It's saying like, here's the things I'm talking about. Here's the things I know about that you need to know about that my clients actually don't want to know. They just need to know, oh, I don't know about that. I need somebody to help me with that, right? So my thought is I create content and I give it away for free and educate people, right? Because for the longest time, financial planners are Come, come sit down with me and let me pitch permanent life insurance or come sit down with me and let me sell you on X, Y, and Z. And if you don't work with me, you know none of the secrets that I know that you don't, which is not true, right? Like we people don't work with us because they couldn't eventually figure it out themselves. It's really because that's not where their time is best spent. And it would take them significantly longer than it would take us to do it. And they'd still probably make some mistakes. So I started on like, let me educate people. Let me give away everything for free and let me never try to sell people. Like I, I'm like, I don't have call to actions on everything. I'm not like, here's why you have to work with me. I'm just over and over and over sharing the financial principles that people need to learn through short form content, through blog posts, through um, videos, through my podcast, through my newsletter. I just basically do that over and over and over again. And then I started testing, well, what if I just up the, the quantity, right? Like everybody says, focus on quality over quantity. The only thing that matters is quality. And 
I think that's somewhat true, but again, like how algorithms work in Twitter and et cetera, is like, if somebody doesn't see it in the first couple hours, it's gone. Right. So if I post five times a week and 20% of my audience sees each one, so let's say I have 10,000 people, that's 2000 people per each one. And maybe it, what it didn't resonate for them. So then they saw one of my posts a week and then one the next week, like you're not really nurturing people and staying in front of them. So how I view the marketing funnel is I see Thomas, Thomas is educating me. Thomas is giving everything away for free. Thomas isn't convincing me to work with him right now, but, oh, I just got a new job. I have ISOs. I have no idea how to manage them. Wait, Thomas has talked about ISOs all the time. Why would I not? He's a specialist, right? Like I'm going to go reach out to him when I hit X pain point. And so that's what I've been doing for the last period of time. And, you know, right now I have a $9,000 minimum fee for my client of who works with us. It's flat fee, $9,000. And before people even book a meeting with us, they actually have to apply on our website. So they apply, they say, why, you know, here's our income. Here's what our job is. Here's my best and worst financial decision. And then we bold $9,000 minimum fee. And we had 60 prospects inbound book meetings in Q1 of this year just to work with me in that model. So it's worked really, really well. I just, I, I like coming out and talking about this because way too many advisors just hear that it doesn't work. But how I view that is it doesn't work for people who are bad at it and don't put in the time and effort, right? It's like asking Joe Schmo who plays soccer why he's not in the NBA. And he's like, it's too hard. It's impossible. It's like, you're not even playing the right game, right? You didn't put in any of the reps. You haven't done any of the practice. You just all of a sudden created three blog posts and you thought you should have 30 prospects coming in your door. And that's just not how it works. We've got a website, right? And it's got a picture of everybody in the firm. So... Why wouldn't they want to do it? Do you know do do business with us now, right? And and that's a great one too. Like I see all the financial planners who are trying to have the best websites, and I think you should, right? But if you can't drive anybody to your website, then it doesn't matter. And so, like how I know the funnel for us is social media, nurture for a while, check out my profile, check out the website, book a meeting. Like that's the funnel. So every part of that has to be leading people into wanting to trust and work with us. And let's go a step further. And I'm, I already know Chris is probably thinking this because Chris and I talk about this a lot off the air, but are you, first of all, are you, and second, if you are, how are you tracking that funnel and, and you know, people coming into it and making their way through it and then actually you know, getting to the point to where they're on a call with you or they actually make a sale? Well, first, like I track how my social's doing. Like, am, am I growing on social? Are my impressions growing? People say impressions don't matter, but like if I get 3 million impressions a month on Twitter and I'm bringing on two clients, that's a really low conversion rate of people to see me to then book a meeting. So then I know, okay, how many people go to our website? Are numbers going up on our website? And then how many people are applying? And if, if numbers are continuing to go up, like if we survey over the last year, we get more people applying with higher levels of wealth and higher level of complexity. To me, that that's a win-win. And then we keep raising prices until more people say no. Like I, I think way too many people um, spend too much time debating the right pricing structure versus testing the market. And so like when I first launched All Street, our, our models were 150, 200, and 250 a month. And we've gone all the way up to 9,000 to, you know, my highest client was at $1,600 a month and they got a lot of meetings and a lot of time. But like, I, I think of ourselves very differently. Like for one, there aren't very many models or people serving 30 year old entrepreneurs that 
are killing it, right? Like I, one of my newest clients, he, he has an Amazon business doing 24 million in revenue and he's 27 years old. I have another client who her and dad own a business. They're selling for $80 million. And like, these are the people who are coming in. They, they need a lot of help, but people act like nobody works with them. And it's because for so long, financial planners are only assets under management. It's like they have a hundred thousand dollars to invest, but they have a $24 million revenue business. I can't work with you because I can't charge you. They want the help. The other side of it too, is that they kind of, a lot of them are like, I will admit that I lucked into success. I never expected to be here. I got here. I don't even know how to be a CFO. I don't know how to run my personal financials. I don't know how we should be making these business decisions. And then we also need consulting on our business. So I'm like helping them think on hiring to how much to hold into the business, to business insurances, to buying out partners, to finding lending, to whether they buy the building, whether they rent, whether they buy out the third partner, whether they don't, you know, are we talking about moving to S corp versus staying? Should we be C corp? Should we be staying? Like all of these things I'm helping them think through. And half the time they're really, really busy, right? Like I, I know I'm this way. I'm super busy. I have all these to-do list items you know that when you're 30, you're married, you have a business, the last thing on the to-do list is, is your personal finances, right? So not only am I helping them make sure that that doesn't happen, that we ensure that they're doing all of the right things, but they just don't feel like they have the time to even do the research. So like half of my meetings with clients are they come up with like a Google sheet of all pages of questions that they don't know about. And I'm basically helping them answer all of them, understand how they apply to them and understand what their next best step to take is to set them up to be in the best spot financially. That's fascinating. And I've, I've got a number of questions now. Um, so let's let's start here. So yeah. $9,000 flat yeah. fee, that's your, that's your minimum. Mm-hmm. What... What is that? Is that a subscription? Is that like a one-time deal? Is that like a project type deal? Um, like just help us unpack, like what is included? Yeah, so I, I, I'll talk to you about all my models. So I have my, my vision when I started All Street, the name All Street implies we will work with anybody. Great, great mission, but it's hard. Like when, we, when I used to work with people who were 150 bucks a month, they demanded more out of me than somebody paying 9,000. They, they always did. They're like, if I'm paying you 150 bucks, why don't I get, a meeting with you every month. And it's like, you, you, that's just, that's just not necessarily how it works. So I have one model that's $1,500. They give us all of our data, enter everything in. We have one, two hour session and I help them get all of the foundational work done. Like how much house can we afford? Should we doing Roth versus traditional, blah, blah, blah. Like all of the basics, nothing super deep. Um, so that way I can help more people who don't fit us ideally. And to be honest, most people starting out don't need an ongoing financial planner, right? They just need to like, what are the best things that I can do for the next five years? I build my emergency fund. I save for a house. Like they should not be paying somebody a reoccurring monthly cost for do the same thing you did last year and maybe save a tiny bit different, right? Like I, I believe passionately about that unless they need behavioral coaching. And again, that's not really a financial planner. They don't normally do that. Um, my next model is we have a one-time financial plan where you go through our entire process, which is about four to six meetings. We get you a plan in place. We have another meeting where I help you implement those things on your own. And then you get a free check-in within a year. So, Hey, life changed. I need some help. Can you help me do this? And that's six starts at $6,500, but almost everybody fits into the $6,500 model. I haven't had anybody more because all the higher level complexities want ongoing not, you know, a one-time plan because there's just too many moving pieces for those levels. So they pay me half up front, half upon completion. And then for my ongoing, 
they just start right into that 9,000 a year if that for our minimum. So they just like day one, they work with us, pay 750 and then they pay 750 on the first of every month moving forward. So everybody gets a financial plan. So like if you're the ongoing, you have the exact same process as the, the, just the financial plan. And then you move into ongoing and we help you implement all of the things we're doing progress meetings. And so like we have a regular service calendar where it's quarterly meetings, Q1, we get a brand new financial plan for the year in. Then we meet in Q2 after your taxes are done. We upload your taxes. We scan them. We explain them to you. And we come up with your tax strategy for this year. Then we meet in Q3 and we do like investments, insurances, go over all of that in the planning. Some people have equity comp right there. And then we have a Q4, which is like end of year planning. We'll go through business. Like, should we be, should we be deferring income? How much are we going to do into your retirement account? Um, you know, all of those different types of things. And then they can meet with us anytime outside of that free of charge. So the value is not only that, and we always reach out ahead of two weeks ahead of every meeting. My assistant reaches out and says, what do you want to go over in this meeting? We'll always trump our agenda with your agenda because we want to help you with what you're facing. And people's lives are changing so quickly of my clients in that phase. Um, and then they'll be like, like, you know, last week I had somebody's like, hey, I think we're actually going to buy a house. Like this perfect option came along. I didn't really think about it. Can you hop on the phone? And part of paying us this fee is we will talk to you that day or the next day every time. You're never going to have to wait a week. You're never going to have to wait two weeks or a month or your next quarterly review. We help you face whatever's going on in your life at that time. And then a lot of my time with my clients is um, vetting estate planning attorneys for them. I'm on the calls with the estate planning attorney with them. I'm on the calls with their CPA with them. I'm communicating with their CPA because uh, to be honest, like half the time my clients work with really sophisticated, like good estate planning attorneys and CPAs. A rare breed can explain things basically, right? Like after you have 30 years of knowledge, you're using acronyms and all of these things. And my clients walk away and they're like, I have no idea what happened. I have no idea what we just talked about. And so part of my role is like, here's what they said. Here's what it means. Here's why we're doing it. Do you understand now? And so then there's all of those different type of roles. Um, so it's a lot, to be honest. Like I view myself as like the very select breed of like, family office for millennial entrepreneurs and I'm building towards family office type approach. Gotcha. So are you actually managing assets? We do manage assets, but I don't push for assets. I, I, for a lot of my clients, I say we charge them 0.35%. So the same as a robo advisor for the assets, but I tell them, Hey, if you want to self-manage, I'll tell you exactly what to invest in which account will do all your rebalancing. Tell you here's what should be in your Roth, your 401k, et cetera. And if you want to self-manage, you can, and some clients choose not to, um, I, Right now I'm working on one of my buddies works at a really large family office. They have like 4 billion in assets and I'm working on a partnership with them where they manage the assets for my clients. And then we split the revenue because I don't want to do a TAMP because they become super expensive for high net worth people. Like it's pretty affordable until you hit like the most common one I saw is $500 per extra million. So if I have somebody with 40 million, that's 20K after the first you know, few thousand, like 25, I'm not gonna pay somebody $25,000 to manage those assets. But with this, they can manage the assets, we can split the fee, but they have an entire investment management team in-house where I think that might be a better route for me than trying to bring that in-house. But I, I view myself as a very, very great financial planner who manages assets, but I don't think that we're doing it. We're not trying to beat the market. We have the right diversification, mostly ETFs. We talk to people about real estate and private investments and Bitcoin and those things. 
but I wouldn't say that I'm going to say my competitive advantage is to go beat the market. That, I won't, that's not who I am. And I don't think many financial advisors should ever say that or plan to say that. So you're doing the financial planning, you're doing the asset management, and then you've also kind of got this guarantee where it's like, if we can't talk to you today, we're definitely going to talk to you tomorrow. So like how many people are in your firm and what roles are they in? And like, how can you actually support that? Like, what's that look like? So I have a director of operations who's like kind of like an executive assistant. And um, she's been working with me for like seven months. And all I gave her like tons and tons of organizational projects to start of just like, go to DocuSign and get every single person's, you know, documents in, like all of those kind of boring things. And then I give her one new task every week that she's going to do. Like, I think, I think it's, good training because I think a lot of financial planners or even business owners are like, they're just not getting everything right. And it's like, you gave them 20 weekly to do tasks without any training and you expect them to all of a sudden not miss any, do everything right. So I'm like, here's the things that are like boring projects with extra free time. And then let's build you to the role that I want. Um, I have a CFP on staff who does um, all like the analysis right now. And then I'm bringing on my buddy who's an EA. Um, and what we're going to do is, They'll both work for me for the rest of this year. And what's going to happen is he's going to help me start doing tax strategy stuff right away. But over the next eight months, he's also going to be learning the financial planning. I, I think tax is so much harder than financial planning to learn. And he is excellent at the tax stuff. And I think a lot of times you think that you don't know the financial planning, but if you're doing the tax, almost all the financial planning goes hand in hand, that the rest of it isn't that hard to learn. And the nice thing is like, I have these one meeting, one plan client, so maybe I'll do 20 of those this year. And then I bring on about two to three new households a month, and then I have 60 ongoing clients as well. So he's gonna get so many reps. Like most financial planners maybe get 30 reps in five years. He'll get to go through like 50 client cases in one year to really learn that stuff. And then he's going to take on the whole financial planning tax strategy. That whole role will be his job. And then from there, I, I think it's just going to depend whether we bring asset management in-house or not. I, I think I'm a builder. And because I know my best role is growing, like I don't think I want to just have you know 75 to 100 clients and call it a day. I think I'll probably grow the firm and I'll be CEO and I'll have financial planner who loves equity comp, financial planner doctors, financial planner real estate. And I'll just be sourcing all of these people, the clients for them to work with and pay them a salary and hire people who are like, I hate prospecting. I hate getting clients. I love the work. I'd rather have a secure job with a bonus than have to do all of that myself. Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show and we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accountants and you wanna get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. So on the accounting side for a couple of years now, at least, and we've brought this issue up on this show quite a bit, um, we talk about the shortage of uh, labor in the accounting industry, right? Is if you just look at the trends over time, we're just going to have fewer and fewer accountants, um, which means mm -hmm. that, you know, we just have fewer people to get the tax returns done, to get the bookkeeping done, to get the audits done, all this kind of stuff. What you're talking about growing and scaling a 
financial planning firm, what's the job market look like in your field as opposed to accounting? So I think this is one of the best things about having a social media following. So I do office hours for advisors right now, and I have 200 advisors on my email list that I started four months ago that come to these office hours. When we hired that CFP, I had 45 applicants in 24 hours. So sourcing is really, really easy when you have a following around what you're doing, which to me is like one of the biggest benefits. And I, I honestly probably get 10 plus advisors a month asking if we're hiring because they need a place to come work and they would love to work where we're at. Um, so, and, and honestly, I help a lot of other advisors, like in my office hours, I go post to other advisors saying, Hey, I have a really great CFP, three years of experience trying to leave Morgan Stanley because he hasn't learning any planning who is hiring and normally can help them get hired. It's something I'm passionate about because I had a hard time finding the right position. I, I was at a broker dealer and luckily one of, you know, I had a bunch of offers to go work places, but they were all like, Hey, you go be junior planner and you take 20 years to work your way up to there. And that's not really what I wanted to do. And a great financial planner's name is Justin Costelli hired me, gave me the, the, the ability to learn. And then he was like, Hey man, like, I don't really want to manage anybody and you don't really need me to manage you. So how about you go start your own firm now? Um, and I got lucky. Like I had somebody who gave me a year and a half time to really like shape me and, and push me to where I wanted to be that I want to help others do that because I want to help other people get out of bad broker dealers. And I'm not saying that there aren't some good broker dealers, but you know, for two years, I talked to two advisors a week. So I, so I talked to about 200 young advisors, same story, broker dealer, don't learn any planning, force me to sell products that aren't a need for my clients. I want to leave. It's a sales culture. I can't find a job. And maybe I'll be able to help do that by bringing people in. But I also think that like when I, my role is not, I'm not going to bring in people that need training. I'm going to bring in people that have the knowledge and pay them more than, than have to spend years building them to where they need to be. Um, I'd rather empower really talented people in the right situation than have to raise people from the very beginning and take years. Cause I don't know if I want to spend all my time training either. And what does compensation look like if you went that traditional uh, route that you're talking about. What What's your incentive as an employee when it comes to trying to make more money or trying to compete for partnership or equity in the firm or something like that? What does that look like to, to give us some context? Because we we know what that looks like in accounting, right? You're hired on as a, as a staff accountant, junior, you try to make your way up through senior manager and then eventually partner. Now you've got a little bit of skin in the game, um, but that could take, that could take, you know, 10, 20, years, like you're talking about, it's a long drawn out time frame, And in the meantime, you're doing 50, 60 hour weeks, especially during, you know, busy season, you're burning yeah. out every year, that kind of thing. So what does that look like in the, in the financial planning field? I would say the good thing about the financial planning field is there's no busy season. Like <laughs> there's like, you can choose to work how much you want when you want, like, you know, deadlines, there really aren't any, I guess, besides maybe end of the year. So <clears throat> I think the I think I would do a salary. I know a lot of them that do like, Hey, you get 60% and then 70% and then 80%. But like, if I give you the client, then you get 50. But if you bring in the client, then you get 80, but then you're incentivizing them to not want to work with the clients that are coming into the firm that you source that I really gonna, I think I'll hire people in their thirties who have been at a bigger firm and they've been, you know, 
junior advisor and then like, you know, the next step, but they're not there. And they know that their marketing or getting people in is not at all what they want to do. And they're like, I want a salary. You know, we can get a salary plus a bonus. And maybe over time you can buy an equity if you really want. Um, that's something I'm still trying to figure out because everybody is still trying to figure it out because people do want some skin in the game. They want to be able to have bonuses. They really want to be able to grow more, but I think it totally changes if I'm like, here's all of the clients that you need, just go work with them is very different than you get paid zero. You bring everything else in yourself. Like the, the person who would take that risk is the people who should just go start their own firm, to be honest. Like if, if that's really the boat, why go under somebody else and then give them 30% most likely, like that's not who I would be trying to hire because that person, what they're going to do is they're going to grow and then they're just going to leave, try to bring some of their clients and then start. And you're basically just going to spend three years training them. I'd rather find the people who know that's not at all what they want to do. Yeah, I, it's very similar uh, in accounting, I think, because it's just so easy now with cloud-based. A lot of accounting technology has cloud-based options now, right? You look at our yeah. accounting software, you've got QuickBooks Online or Zero, even tax software, you've got ProConnect Online, which is what I use in my firm. And it, you know, it, it would be entirely possible for an unlicensed, untrained person to go set up a free Intuit account. And all of a sudden, they could, at least from a software standpoint, right? have an accounting firm, you know, and, and be ready for business. Now I'm, I'm not saying anybody should do that, you know, but, but we know that there are people out there that, you know, way underqualified people that are doing that. And so instead of saying, let's figure out a way in the industry to make it possible for people who want to come into this industry, whether they want to be an employee slash partner forever, or they want to hang their own shingle and do it their own way. Let's make it possible to, uh, you know, facilitate that so that we have some quality control so that we give them some training that they need, but at the same time, um, you know, not, not hinder their efforts to, you know, maybe have their own firm someday. So yeah, I like that model. I like that way of thinking where it's not, you know, it's not you come work for me forever or we're competition now, right? Like there's an in-between. There's a way we can uh, have both those models together. You said something that was super interesting, though, because you talked about how social media is driving applicants, right? Job applicants into your firm. And I think yeah. a lot of firm owners and really just business owners in general don't understand that what they're posting online to try to bring clients and customers in might also be helping bring job applicants in. Right. So, so talk about a little bit about that. Like how, what, what were some of the reactions? Like, how are you getting not just customers and clients, but actual job applicants wanting to come to you because of, of that online presence? Yeah. I think it's like, uh, you know, if I view <clears throat> social media, whether right or wrong, like I go look at somebody's social and I vet them from there. I, I totally do. Like, I, I don't really know any better way to vet it other than like, I know that standardized testing doesn't actually qualify you for anything. Um, let's be real. Like, I mean, a CPA is way different than financial planning. Like to be in a financial planner, if you're not a CFP and you don't need a CFP at all, like it doesn't actually do anything different for you. You just need your series 65. That is a, a, a 180 page book on laws that like barely that you don't even really like in your head at all. No, like that does not qualify you. And then the CFP, like, yeah, like that is a good textbook. You do learn the things, but that doesn't make you a good financial planner because you can take that standardized test and pass it. So to me, how I vet people is like, I'll go listen to their podcast, right? Like, dang, they know their stuff. I'll go look at their Twitter. I'll go look at their LinkedIn. But then I'm also looking at like, who are they as a person? Like, I see a lot of people, they spend a ton of time arguing on social media. I don't want to work with anybody that's arguing on social media. 
I see a lot of CPAs or financial planners who think on social media, they should go to other CPAs or financial planners and try to find any problem with what they said. Like, like somebody, like I, I'll say a basic thing about like why, like you need an emergency fund and be like, well, here's the nuanced case where you absolutely don't need an emergency fund. And then, you know, you go read that and you're like, that guy kind of sucks. Like he, he literally is only looking on every single thing to try to like make himself sound smarter. And so I think like being your authentic self, which I think is a hard thing for people early on is they just like spew financial knowledge, right? Or they just spew tax knowledge. When in reality, if you want to do that, just go to chat GTP and let them post for you, right? Like you need to be yourself. And by being yourself, you can draw people to want to work with you. And so I think what's worked out really well for me along this is like, I not only try to talk to financial planning stuff, I also want to inspire other financial planners to go independent, to create social media, to find their voice, to work with the people that they want to work with. And that is, a, and it's realistic without like being the person that sits here and is full of negativity or fighting. And I think that's just drawing people to be like, most financial planners aren't like that, right? Like I think when you look at both of our industries, the vast majority of people are, they're, they're smart, but they're not very good to talk to, right? Like you just like, you, let's be real. Most CPAs you're going to go talk to and you're going to be like, just get me through this and file my taxes, right? Like this guy is just horrible to talk to. So I think by not being that, by being like your normal friend that you would hang out with and, and talk to, people are like, wow, that would be a lot better. And, and the last guy I worked with, that was him. He was a super cool guy. He was down to earth. Like he wasn't pretending to wear a suit to every meeting. Like, like this is me. I show up to my client meetings in a t-shirt. I hop on my podcast. I'm wearing, you know, a hoodie or a t-shirt. Like I'm talking in the exact terms. I'm not, I'm not using acronyms. I'm not sitting here trying to sound smarter than I am. I'm just trying to be a normal person that somebody would want to talk to. And I think that attracts clients and then it attracts people who want to work at your firm because they, it doesn't feel like this corporate buttoned up fake job where you have to pretend to be this person. You can just be you. So we've run into a number of instances where can't even find people social or like it's private or they don't even have a LinkedIn. Like we get a number of job applicants like that. So is that like a straight off the bat disqualifier for you? Done deal. You're nope. You're not getting hired. I tell everybody and all the young planners, I'm like, when I'm hiring and I talk to other firm owners, when they're hiring, if I have two people, like let's even say like Harvard grad, you know, 2018 Harvard grad, same qualifications, both worked at this firm, but this person over here has their own website with their blog and their social media and all these things. I would hire that person every single day over this person. They're more obsessed. They're more passionate about this. They're looking to give back. They're sharing all of their info. Like that's hard work. It's it's actually not easy to create content. Like it's easy to do it a couple times. It's hard to stay with it and be consistent. That person shows me significantly better qualities than the other person who doesn't have a profile picture. They don't show up there and say anything. Like we live in a digital world. Everything is digital, right? Like every meeting I have with a client is digital. Like they're going to go look me up somewhere, whether that's a social media that I use for content or not. I think that qualifies you significantly more. Like I see that like when I talk to college kids, <clears throat> they're like, I, I want to be a financial planner so bad. Like, what should I do? I'm like, start a blog or start on social media and start educating people your age about what's going on. Talk about graduating in student loans, when their student loans are going to start, why they need to build an emergency fund, how to think through your 401k. Like if, if you're learning that way, 
Like, I actually don't think people realize that the number one quality or the, the, the biggest benefit I think of social is it actually makes you smarter. Like to always be creating content, you have to always be learning. And then you're becoming better at explaining things in basic in basic forms. And that's a skill that very few people have that it, no matter what, if you never get a client, it never helps you get hired. It never helps you grow your firm. In the basic, just the most basic form, you became smarter and you learned more because you had to go and do this. I think David Perel is kind of one of the, these great writers out there. And his thing always is like, you don't actually have a refined viewpoint on anything until you've ever written about it because you just have all these commingled thoughts and not like a concise way to do it. And not, what I've realized over the last few years by doing this, my speaking has gotten so much better because all these things I'm talking about, I really have refined viewpoints on but then that doesn't mean that I can't change them too, right? Like I go read other people's or see other things. I'm like, wait, I used to think this. Now this helps me think about it differently. But I guess to go back to your question, I think it is kind of table stakes for me. Like it just feels kind of weird to go to somebody's profile and it's not even a picture of them and be mm -hmm. like, are you real? <laughs> so do you actually require those people to produce content for you or is it just no. more of an indicator really? So the, the CFP that I have is actually a perfect situation. He started, he'd been a CFP for like eight or nine years and he launched his own RIA and the numbers in an RIA say five years to break six figures in revenue. So people have like a four year gap where they normally try to do planning for another advisor so they can have some extra revenue. So he does create his own content. He's really, I mean, it's totally solid. Um, but then like, you know, the, my buddy that I'm bringing on, I'm going to have him do my podcast with me. I think it'll be helpful. I'll help him write blog posts with me and, and do other things. Um, but I, I wouldn't require it because he's not necessarily going to be client facing and trying to grow with clients. Like everybody that I'm starting with now is just my team to serve around my clients. So I won't make them do it. But if I was bringing on different advisors and they were serving directly facing clients, it would be a requirement. Yeah. Help us think about this then, right? Because you, you say, you know, ju just be a normal person, right? And explain these things. But the explanations, right? Sometimes our normal way of explaining things because we're trained to think in terms of, you know, the tax code and gap, right? You know, and all these things, right? What's the difference? What's the difference between explaining something, right? And then making it actually digestible, I don't know, maybe even entertaining for, you know, something, something that someone would actually want to listen to? Like, how do you translate that and actually make it something that draws in people as opposed to, because there's a ton of accounting content out there that is just, here's the letter of the code right now, you know, right? So, so what, what actually makes it to where somebody, you know, a lay person is going to listen to that and, and the light bulb's going to go off and they're going to want to work with you as opposed to just, okay, it's still all Greek to me. First thing about this is you, people like overlook the basics. Like, I think you go look at a lot of the people who get no clients, they are talking about the most complex topics. And the thing that I've come to realize is no matter how successful or wealthy people are, they actually don't really know most of the basics. So I spend most of my time talking about a lot of those basics. And then the complex is more of a podcast thing, like I, or, or I guess a thread. Um, but like, it's hard to get into nuance and short form content. And I also don't think a lot of times you need to, to, to be getting clients like that that's a little bit past where that funnel for, for me, I, I think of it is. Um, but the other side of it is you talked about entertaining your content has to be entertaining. I, I will never like 
stop preaching this. When I first started my first year or whatever, like I wasn't really getting anybody from my content. And then I realized that like the thing would be like HSAs or triple tax advantage accounts, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what? That's so boring. Or like, here's why you need a Roth IRA. It's like, no, you're, you're missing a whole paragraph in front of that to get the people in there. And so Samantha Russell, she's, she's like one known as one of the best marketers. She works in the financial planning space. And um, I reached out to her early on. And I, was, I was like, what am I like, you know, how can I improve? And she was like, you have to nail the hook. Like, this is the thing that you're missing is you don't nail the hook because people are just scrolling social over and over and over and over. And unless you grab that intent, like attention from them, they move to the next thing. Right. And so like I spend a lot of time on the hook. So like when I'm writing a thread, most of the time I write a blog post, I turn my blog post into a thread, but I rewrite that first one. Like I, I grab their attention as either statistic or, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, quantifying who you are. So it'd be like, I've worked with a hundred, you know, millennial households over the last three years. Here are the 10 biggest mistakes you don't want to avoid. They're like, you don't want to make, like, that's going to make somebody be like, Ooh, that this seems kind of powerful. Right. Other than like, here's 10 mistakes millennials make right? Like who's, who's actually going to click on that and spend all the time reading there. So I think like, you know, people are like, well, I don't have time to, to spend on the hook. It's like, well, then you don't really, you're not really putting out the content, right? Like you have to find the ways to get people to actually want to read what you're doing. And so like my podcast, the way that I get people interested in the podcast is we put a clip up, like something really powerful that happened in there so they can get a general idea of what the conversation is. Cause if I just post check out this week's podcast. Like I just had Anthony Price on, check out this week's podcast with Anthony Price, where we talk about business taxes. Like I need a good video that they're like, Ooh, I wonder what else they talked about in there that I can grab. That's going to be really valuable to me. And I, I do think that's why the difference between I get people in my door and I don't is that you have boring content that is just literally like if I Googled Investopedia, um, you know, about, ISOs, right? Like it would just be the copy and paste paragraph. Like people can find that if they really want to. What did you do to make them interested enough to want to learn what you're telling them? I think that's what becomes so important. And it's interesting. So you're talking about the hook and what I'm hearing in a couple of the examples you gave is you're establishing that credibility, right? And and not mm -hmm. because I have this credential or I have this title, right? Because I, th I think a lot of, especially credentialed professionals think that is automatic credibility, right? I'm a CPA, I'm a CFP, I'm a whatever. Therefore, I can just sit back and allow that credential to do the talking for me. And it doesn't work that way because guess what? There, you know, no, no matter how many of that credential there are, there are a lot of other people with that credential, right? So what makes you more believable, more credible than anyone else with that credential? And so when you say something like instead of, right, just millennials do this or don't do that, it's I work with, you know, X number of these and therefore I know, right? And and it, yeah. it, it's just that little bit of extra boost to not not only can I do this work for you, but I've done this work for a lot of people like you. Therefore, I know all about you already before we've even met. And that's just one way of it too. Like I use the example of like the HSA one. Like you, you could totally start that one with like, you know, everybody loves Roth IRAs, taxable brokerage accounts, ESPP plans because of the tax advantages, you know, for example, like, but many of you don't know that there's one account that has three tax advantages that no other account has. And then you say like HSA and then you like lead into, then they write, read into it because they're like, Oh wait, what? Like there's more tax advantage. I thought I've been using my 401k because it's the most tax advantage. Am I missing out here? Or, you know, you pull the, Hey, you know, 
there's one account that guarantees you a 17.6% guaranteed rate of return. You know what it is? Check out this thread. And then you go into ESPP plans with a 15% um, discount and look back provision. Like you really just need to, because the other side, if you just say ESPP plans are really overlooked, you can get a great return. Somebody's like, what? Like, okay, well, next, next tweet, right? Like you really have to get people. And I think you look at all news, right? Everybody is trying to have a hook or a way and they use fear and misguided headlines. That's not what you want to do, right? You can use a little bit of fear, I think, but you don't want to be the like, Hey, if you don't work with me, then you're going to die with $0 in your forties. Like, obviously that's not true, right? Like you don't want to be this spammy call for attention type person. That's very different than like, let's get people to, to like be interested in what I'm saying and it not be like falsifying things. You know, I think there is a fine line where people, you know, step over that. And then I think the other thing that I've been noticing a lot on social is we have this huge trend to plug yourself in every tweet. Like no matter what tweet you put out, you're like, I have a newsletter about this or, Hey, come work with me. I work with this. Like you don't really want to, again, turn into the person that's always selling. Like, I think that I run from people that are selling, like all the people that instantly message me about their newsletter, interestingly message me about working with them or book a meeting with them. Like, I, I hate that. I'm like, you prove value to me before I'm ever going to consider meeting with you. Right. I take that approach very seriously of like, my role is like, nobody loves being sold to. Like most people actually feel kind of gross being sold to. How do I like alleviate that feeling from people? Because if they're going to find, if they're going to follow your newsletter or they're going to work with you, I, I believe that they're gonna, you don't have to throw it in their face four times a day. Yeah. So what you're saying is, is very interesting. And this is one of the debates that we're having internally. It's just that, Hey, what we do is very technical and seems a little bit unapproachable. And it seems like what you're saying is, well, I mean, you just need a better hook, right? So, okay. Got that. Like, let's but, say like a great one for a CPA could be sitting there, like you specialize in entrepreneurs and you're sitting here and be like, Every, all everybody talks about on Twitter is S-Corps and the benefit of S-Corps, but here's how you could be missing out on $10 million you know, exclusion when you sell your business, hence the value of a C-Corp. And then you have a thread, right? Like you got people in there of like, they're all talking S-Corps, right? That's all everybody sees on social media is everything about S-Corps. Then you have all these people who'd be way better off being a C-Corp because they're going to sell their business in five years. How do I get them in there? And then I can go into some of the complex stuff. But again, like the thread, I don't think the goal is like, I just taught you how to, to move your business to a C-Corp and to file on your own. My job is to tell you why this is why this matters and why you need to be proactive with your CPA to get this done and not right. wait until the year of your sale. That's that's yeah, super but, interesting. That's super interesting because a lot of accountants, especially, right, especially on the tax side, are frustrated with the amount of just bad tax advice out there on social media, especially coming out of TikTok. And a lot of it is that just kind of really simplified, dumbed down. You need to put everything in an LLC. You need to put everything in an S corp. And I think what you Horrible. just described there is a great way to counter that, right? Is to say, this is what you're hearing everywhere else. And it's crap. Let me tell you why, right? Or it might be crap in your situation. Let me tell you why. Yeah. But for, for people who are super technical, who are just, who are intimidated by, oh, I got to write a hook now. Like, how do I do that? How do I like, do, you know, make my stuff more simple. Like what's the process of just learning how to do that and make it second nature? Cause you just rattled off like five different hooks, like in 30 seconds. And most of our listeners, like they're, you know, we're not there yet. Yeah. So like help, help us get there. I think, I think your first thing is find a group of other people 
And I actually have a discord group with like five other advisors and we do it like a lot of times like, Hey, I'm stuck on this part of my thread. Anybody got ideas and other people give you ideas and like you learn together. I think that was like definitely one of the most beneficial. Um, I think you can actually probably leverage chat GTP or another software to say, help me write a, a hook. And most of the time I never use it, but it might give me a line, a better line than the one line I had. Um, I think that can be really helpful. Um, and I think you can go find other good creators and find frameworks of like, you know, Hey, here's, you know, like if you went to Salio Bloom, right? Like he's a huge Twitter page, amazing, amazing content, writes threads all the time. Maybe I found 10 frameworks that he uses. How do then I, do I change that frame, like the same framework, but change the words to be me? Um, I do think it is a little bit daunting, but like people are like, like for me, maybe I spend 30 minutes writing the blog post. I know that's quicker than most people. And maybe I spend 15 on the hook. Like I spend a good percentage of the, the time on that because I realize I could spend five hours on the best thread of all time. But if the hook's not there and nobody reads it, I wasted it. So why don't I spend the extra little bit of time making it better there? But I want to go back to, you talked about like all of these CPAs out here are mad about all the bad advice out there. For sure. I am too. I had a really big thread go off one time that it was, it, I think it was like, I said, whether it's videos of 14 year olds sharing how you can make hundred percent daily returns or blog posts telling you to never use your 401k because it's a scam. It's safe to say the internet is full of terrible advice. Here are the seven most cringeworthy pieces of advice I've seen. Like you could totally take that framework and put like the worst TikTok advice you've seen and you put the bad advice and why it's wrong. And like, that's a really good thread, right? Like that's a really valuable thread that can be a blog post. You can turn that into a giveaway that like gets emails on your website. Um, I think a lot of times fitting them in there. So when I bring up the S Corp one, like everything I see is everybody should be an S Corp. Like I, I had somebody say that they had, they had 30,000 a profit and they should be an S Corp paying themselves none. It's like, no, that's really terrible advice actually. And so now that I hear all this, or then the next one's like, you know, TikTok is full of the idea of becoming an LLC. Here's actually why an LLC isn't going to save you any on taxes. And then you go into the tax structures, you get into that, like, it's actually just a limited liability company, whether you set that up or not, doesn't really change your tax structure, go into S corps and why that's beneficial thing about it. Like you can really just take what's going on. Here's why that's terrible. And here's how I can help you alleviate that. Justin Welsh is another one that, uh, you know, I followed for several years now that shares a lot He's of amazing. frameworks, talks a lot about, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, what there was a, there was a communication scholar. I briefly worked for a communication scholar when I was in college, but, um, uh, Marshall McLuhan, who, uh, said that the, the medium is the message, right? Like it's not the actual words. It's the way you're structuring and conveying those words, right? Like that actually matters as well. And I think we don't give enough, uh, credit to that. He's the best. He's one of the one, the yeah. early ones that yeah, I followed and tried to. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. There's Josh Spector. Yes, is actually another one. He's good. And every once in a while, he'll do something where he's like, "Throw me a tweet of yours that you thought should have blown up but didn't, and I'll help you rewrite it." And I and I've done that multiple times. And I really learned. I was like, "Oh, here's what I'm not doing. Right? Like here's." I'm just going into it. Like I'm not building the story, right? Like mm. every good book, every good podcast, every good show doesn't dive right in. They build up and they grab your attention. And, you know, unless you're an amazing show, right? Like unless you're an amazing show, you can't take four episodes to get there, right? Like you have to grab people early on, like, whoa, 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 whoa. And the first episode, oh my gosh, I'm hooked, right? Like that's basically the exact same thing you have to do with your thread. It's like line, 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 hooked. Here's what you need to know.
That, that's really how I think of it. We are uh, getting close on time, but I want to close out uh, and go back to something that you said pretty early on about how you and you said your colleagues in the the financial planning space are struggling to find good referrals when it comes to accountants. What what makes for a good referral partner on the accounting side for a financial planner? How can accountants be better, not just in terms of being better accountants, but being better in terms of working with their clients who have financial advisors? I, I, before I answer, I have a question. Do you guys struggle with getting the, enough clients? In terms of quantity, no. In terms of quality, yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, we're, know, we're the same yeah, way, especially over the last couple of years. Right. You know, it, the the great resignation, and you know, like I said, technology makes it super easy to start up a business. And so, yeah, it's great that those people are looking for help and they're looking for accountants. But a lot of them either aren't there yet, or they're still waffling on whether they want to be an employee versus self-employed. They still don't get what being self-employed means and the commitment, therefore, and so they turn out not to be the greatest quality client or they've just never worked with an accountant before and they don't really you know get yeah. what it means to work with an advisor yeah so do you guys typically just you don't just do returns for like uh it's basically entrepreneurs only down that road not like hey i'm gonna do a 350 dollars simple return for a w2 person no like we we don't like tax clients are basically just falling out of the sky i mean you can get those anywhere where yeah. where we find it a little bit more difficult is like the high value super niched in our industry, virtual CFO customer. Like that's, those are much harder. Tax clients, no. I mean, that's, okay. no. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I was gonna say, I feel like tax clients would be like the easiest thing overall to get because everybody needs to get their taxes done. I do think on the advice side, um, it can be more challenging. But again, like I think specialty matters, right? Like when I, you know, I have a couple of CPAs that I refer to that are real estate and like all they do and talk about is real estate, right? I'm like, they, they know their stuff. Like, of course, that's who I'm going to send it to. But if I was that person, I was struggling. I would find the fi financial planners who only specialize in people you building through real estate. And I would tell them, I will help do taxes for any of your clients. And I will always take them. Like if, if you send me a client on April 14th, it won't be done for tax deadline, but I will still take on your client. Like I think all the CPAs I have basically have told me if they have a wait list, whatever, my clients will always be there. They'll always take them on. I don't know if that's something I'm willing to do, but to me, I'm like, that's never a worry that I have. I, I really value that. I appreciate that. Um, I think to me, really the financial planner route is the best. And, you know, maybe we can collaborate on something and like get a bunch of good CPAs. We create a referral sheet. Like I, I probably get 10 people a week asking me for referrals, to their CPAs. And I don't give them mine because I don't want mine to be full, to be honest, or other advisors. But like, as I view it, I promise you every single advisor I talk to, no matter how good they are, they don't have a good CPA referral. And I think you guys are probably all national, right? It doesn't matter. You're not state specific, which I think is right. better. I think that that helps a lot because that's a struggle I have. Like, okay, if I'm going to find a state playing attorney, so I have to find one in somebody's city every time, mm -hmm. or can I find a national firm that has people all over and they'll source and, and partner with it? Like, I think that's really important. Um, I do think social media, cause I, I think like the, they now have a lot of CPA firms I talk to have those packages of like, Hey, we'll do tax strategy and we'll do your filing. And it's, you know, for semi-annual meetings, $5,000 a year, it's $10,000 a year. If you want quarterly meetings, um, 
I would say that as somebody, I, I feel like I'm good on pricing. I'm learning pricing really well. Giving people options on number of meetings is not does not normally work because everybody's going to pick the lower one and then reach out to you to meet more. Mm -hmm. So I think like having, hey, here's tax strategy for, you know, based on revenue or something else where you put them in there and that's how you get us and we will help you as much as we needed. And we found the best model is semi-annual meetings or quarterly meetings, whatever it is. Because every time I've ever given pricing options, somebody is like an ongoing client. They're like, can I move down to this model? But you know, they're going to use you way more than that model would be. So I don't let people choose. Well, I like your idea where each quarterly meeting has a theme. Right. And, and yeah. yeah, they'll bring their own questions and you'll, you'll prioritize that. But assuming that we get around to, you know, there's still time or we get around to what, you know, you came into the meeting expecting to talk about, you already have an idea. It's not just this, you know, open ended every quarter we have a meeting and it's usually just five minutes or we cancel it until the next one anyway, because nobody had anything to talk about. Yeah. I think the service calendar is really valuable, especially on my own side too, because sometimes if you don't have that and you're like, we meet quarterly and then I'm coming to the meeting anxious that I have nothing to talk about or like versus what we're really building is like, here's everything we'll talk about, but here's also the things that we will do for you. So like maybe Q1, we review everybody's portfolios that are aside from us, tell them how to rebalance tax loss harvesting opportunities on top of all of the other things that we do. And then Q2, like is all we're going to own taxes. Like we have to strategize plan. We'll come up with your last year's tax report, what it means. And then we'll come up with projections this year. Here's where you're going to be paying quarterly. You know, Hey, you only want to exercise this many ISOs without triggering AMT. Um, you know, whatever those things might be. I think the, the service calendar, and I don't know what that looks like, obviously for a CPA. And maybe that isn't quarterly because it mostly is tax and tax strategy, but maybe it's semi-annual and hey, let's, you know, at the very end of the year reviewing tax planning moves you can make at the end of the year. And then we're going to meet after your taxes are due and come up with tax strategy for this year. Like to me, that probably makes the most sense. But I also think then you can't, it'd be harder, like it's harder for me to partner with those type of firms because we're doing tax advice or tax strategy in house. Right. So like, we're going to go to the CPA who, even if they have more expensive filing returns, my client doesn't have to pay them another 5,000 because they're already paying us for the tax strategy. So I think it's also partnering with the right financial planning firms who aren't doing that, which is most to be honest, right? Like most know very little about financial planning and barely do financial planning outside of investment management, let alone actually tax planning. It's interesting that, uh, you know, you said that it, it, a referral from you would basically, you know, bypass the the wait list, right? You know, if, if it's a referral from you, then, you know, I'll guarantee that, you know, we'll prioritize them. Like, yeah, like you said, we might still have to extend their return if they come in on, you know, in, in, in mid-April or something like that, but uh, we'll, we'll move them ahead of the pack. And I, and I think a lot of uh, CPAs, firm owners, even tax professionals in general would kind of bristle at that. But I, then I go back to you talking about your, uh, qualification process, right? So if I get a referral coming in from you, I know that you've already put in the work of qualifying that lead. You're not just sending anybody and everybody that walks in your door to me. You've already done a lot of work to make sure that that's somebody you want to work with. And therefore, if you and I are synced in terms of the kinds of clients we're wanting to work with, well, then you've really done a lot of the hard work for me already when it comes to, to lead qualification. And I think a lot of firms 
they they bristle at the idea of referrals and, and i've seen this on social media like you're saying i've seen this uh from other accountants where they kind of bristle at the idea of leads from the fas because they tend to be the bigger brokerages that will take on anybody and everybody that walks in the door it's a lot of w2 employees that just have their you know 401ks with them and so there's not a lot of value to working with those kinds of clients so i think it's just as important on both sides right to before you make that referral partnership to have a really clear idea of these are the kinds of people we work with this is where we have some overlap there let's focus on these kinds of referral yeah. possibilities yeah. And I think the, the other value add that I have with the ones that I've worked with so far is that like the one that does, I have early on clients who are all W2. He does all of my W2 more basic clients, but he, he comes to me for every question. So instead of going to the client and they have no idea the answer, where to find whatever he comes to me, I'll help do that for them. So it solves time there. But then like, I'll, I'll say like, we spend 10 minutes on the phone every Friday. Hey, what's going on with my clients? Do you need help on anything? Do you have any questions? blah, 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 blah. And then that's 10 minutes. It saves him from all of the emails, uh, all of the other things. So I think it makes his job easier. And then also he doesn't like, I mean, he gets 30 clients this way. He doesn't really have to worry about finding anybody or dealing with any of those problems. Before we wrap, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, but I think we've established pretty firmly that the financial planner and the CPA or accountant or, or whatever should have a good relationship, should work on, should be part of the team with the customer. Who else should be on the team and how often should they meet? So there's probably at least one attorney in there somewhere. What else though? Maybe that we're not thinking about. To, to point that out, that's something I always tell people is like building your financial team is the most valuable thing you can do. And I, and I own that for my clients. Like I will like think about like people are already worried. Like what if my CPA isn't good? Or what if my financial planner isn't good? But what if you have to worry about my CPA, my financial planner, my estate planning attorney, my business attorney, my insurance broker, if you have to worry about all of them and whether they're good or not, or you find me, you trust. And I source all of those right people for you. That saves you a lot of headaches, a lot of problems, avoiding a lot of mistakes, which I think is one of the most valuable things that we do. Um, but I think those two are the most important three is estate planning attorney, especially for these business owners. Like if I'm specializing with entrepreneurs or people in real estate or people who are going to sell, a lot of my clients are going to be way over the estate tax limit. Like a, a great estate planning attorney, like I'm working on one of the client now, they're $1,100 an hour for the estate planning attorney. It's worth it. It's, it's absolutely going to be worth it for the, for all of the tax savings and the headaches that are going to be avoided. I think you do need an insurance broker because whether you need buy sell agreements, whether you still need term, whether you know you're going to be really high income and you need eyelets, whether you need disability insurance, um, that is really important. I think you need that. I have that through my that I source all my clients to. You know they're never going to upsell. They just do what we tell them to do. Um, and then you probably need a business attorney. Maybe not all the time, but I think it is important to have. Um, depending on where you're at with your business, again, drafting buy sell agreements or buying out another partner. Um, I think that's basically the majority of the way that I think about it. And then outsource CFO. So you talked about that a lot. Um, right now, my, my dad actually works with a number of my clients. He's been a CFO for 40 years. He's going to transition out and do outsource CFO work. So we're probably going to bring that in house. And what, if we grow too big where he can't do it, then he'll oversee the whole outsource CFO team and be like the 
you guys do this, come back to me, we relay, he's on the big meetings type of thing. I think that is really valuable. Again, so many business owners, especially who I work with, they're in their thirties. They have no idea how to do any of the work. Like their books are terrible. Again, like one of my clients, they're selling for 80 million. A year and a half ago, before they brought in a CFO, they were getting 20 to $30 million offers because their books couldn't tell the story of what was actually going on. They bring in a book, they bring in a good bookkeeper, a CFO, and in two years, the business grew, but not enough to make it 4X the valuation, but it did because they actually had the right books. So I think that, and then a bookkeeper, right? Like, and, and maybe that's how like I partner more with you guys is maybe we find out models of like, hey, if we're doing the tax strategy, but I still want to work with a good CPA, maybe they're doing the outsourced CFO work, helping doing the bookkeeping, the tax filing. And maybe we find a package where this all fits in really well. So maybe you guys have models of like, hey, these are the forward thinking advisors that do the tax planning. Maybe we have a little bit lower model, but we realize that time spend will go down because of that, but we can still have a great relationship where you make a good amount of money because they do need the bookkeeping. They do still need the accounting. Like maybe they do need the outsourced CFO work and figure out like how that goes in. I think that could be a good way to, to partner too. Fantastic, Thomas. Well, uh, I think I said it about 10 minutes ago, 12 minutes ago, but yeah, we are, we are up on time. We want to respect your time and our listeners time. Thank you so much for being here. This has been incredibly insightful uh, just to finally get the perspective from the financial planner uh, side of things. I think for a lot of uh, CPAs, especially uh, tax preparers and, and tax advisors, it's, it's really easy to kind of take that side of things for granted, right? We just kind of get the result. We get the 1099Rs, you know, we, we see the brokerage statements and that's really it. Um, but, you know, it's great to actually uh, hear what's going on on your side, how you're thinking about helping the client as well. So thank you so much for being here and uh, thanks yeah. for sharing your story and your side of that relationship. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. That was awesome. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at CPA Advisory Show.com. Thanks again.